I want to talk to you a little bit uh, today about searching. Uh, we're all searching for something, and uh, last week we introduced the vision that real life has for discipleship in the life of the church. Uh, our goal is this, you'll see it on the screen. Uh, our goal is honestly just to set the table. We set the table as a church for people to encounter God through a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And so when you encounter God through the person of Jesus Christ, you're invited to be a part of a family. So the next challenge is inevitably going to be to embrace the community that God has us in, the community of believers. So our, our job as a church is to set the table so that you might encounter God through the person of Jesus and then embrace the Jesus community. But then also not just embrace that community, but go on mission with it and embody what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ every single day, every moment of your life. Uh, we can call that holiness. You can call it being missional. You can call it all kinds of different things. But the bottom line is we have been saved and redeemed, and now we live a life that is given to Jesus, Jesus Christ. And so in doing that, um, today we're going to be talking about en encountering God, but we're going to kind of do it in a sideways way, if that's okay. There's a lot that we search for in life, even if, <laughs> even if we don't want to admit that we're searching. I think all of us are searching for certain things. Um, a lot of people search for approval, maybe acceptance, uh, search for affirmation, somebody to tell them, you know, you're doing a good job. I, I think we all have that longing and we're searching for those things in our lives. If that weren't true, social media, which is essentially a plea for approval and recognition, that wouldn't be so hard to give up. In fact, how many of you uh, gave up social media for Lent? Okay. How many of you have already logged in? Right. Okay. So sometimes that's FOMO, it's fear of missing out or whatever, but a lot of times it's a desire to be seen. It's a desire to be known and approved and included. And it's hard to give those things up, but if if you really condense the searching down to one thing, I think, honestly, what we're all searching for is love. We're all searching for love. We spend a lot of time uh, discerning what it means, and we're going to spend a lot of time discerning what it means to encounter God and to embrace community and into a body mission in the years ahead. We're going to spend all kinds of time talking about what this looks like, uh, how is this fleshed out, what are the vehicles that we have in place so that it happens, and, and all that kind of different stuff. But, uh, but in the end... Um, we begin with really just kind of one statement, and this is it. To encounter God is to encounter love. God is love. Um, if I were to ask how many of us really believe that God is love, I'm sure, you know, if I said, would you raise your hand if you believe God is love? Well, it's in Scripture, so a bunch of us would raise our hands because we're good, decent church people, <laughs> And, and it's the right answer. God is love is the right answer. But it's also been said that the, the greatest distance in the world is the distance between your head and your heart. So it's one thing for us to agree with something. It's one thing for us to give intellectual assent to something. It, it, it's one thing for it to land in our brain and be like, yeah, I, I read that and it's true. and We sing about it and all that kind of different stuff. It's another thing for it to flow into your heart and become a part of who you are and how you live your life and expression in your life. It, it, it takes a bit for that to move so it rings true in your life. 
So why is that hard? I've been asking myself that question a lot lately. Why is it hard for me to be certain that I am loved? Why is it hard? Uh, If you've never wondered about people's acceptance of you or people's love for you, you are a better human being than I am. (laughs) Um, Maybe you can shake off people's comments with ease or maybe you can shake off people's false perceptions of you or their opinions of you or whatever they have of you. Uh, Maybe you're so self-confident that, you know, none of that hits you crossways. And that's great. That's not me. That's not me. I don't think I'm alone in that. That's not me. I have insecurities. And I have insecurities. I, I can tell you why. I have a past. <laughs> I have things that I've done in my life. I've made mistakes. I've, you know, I, I've got stuff. I've got baggage. I've sinned in my life. And I believe God loves me. I do. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be standing here. So I believe God loves me in my head, but in my heart... That, that's the sticky point. That's the, that's the one where I, I can give assent to it. I can be glad for God's love for me. But in my heart, has it made its way there? And part of the reason is because acceptance and approval and even love that we have, that, that we get from other people or we try to give to other people, isn't always without condition, is it? Very rarely do you find love that does not have some kind of condition attached to it. It's something that you earn, isn't it? It's something that you deserve. And, and we all know ourselves. Is there anybody who can honestly say that if love was something that if you did the right things and said the right things and acted in the right way and you deserved love, that you've batted a thousand? If that's what gains you the love of somebody else, have you batted a thousand? Have you done it perfectly? So I think it's only natural to assume or at least behave in such a way that God's love is conditional, like human love, that there's conditions placed upon that love. Unfortunately, a lot of people learn that in church, too, (laughs) in the way the gospel is presented, is that God, God loves you, but man, you suck, you know? Have you ever heard that message? Maybe not in that crass of language. God loves you, but you really need to understand that you suck. Okay? It's only natural to assume God's love is conditional, like our love. But of all the things, I think, that cause us to not experience like the flush of God's love in our own hearts, I think it's fear. And I want to talk about that this morning. Because if we're going to encounter the person of Jesus Christ, if we're going to encounter this God of love, we've got to address what might be probably one of the biggest hindrances to that, and I think it's fear. I do. I think it's fear. When I was growing up, um, there weren't many things I was afraid of, mostly because I just, I wasn't very bright, you know, don't touch the stove, okay, you know, I just wasn't that smart, and so there's a lot of things I just wasn't afraid of uh, that caused me fear, and I think like the traditional sense, I wasn't afraid of the dark, wasn't afraid of spiders, all that kind of different stuff. As an adult, I have a fear of, you know, running out of tacos, and don't worry, I talked about tacos last week, and I will talk about tacos again next week. I've already planned it out, just so you know. We'll see if I spare you the week after. But, but from a traditional sense, I don't have like those natural, normal kind of fears. Obviously, 
I'm a public speaker, so I don't have that fear of public speaking. I, I just don't have those traditional kind of fears. My fears, and I do have them, are more interpersonal. They're interpersonal fears. And I wonder if some of your fears are that way too. I lived in a home growing up where I was very unsure of my father's love for me. My father never told me he loved me until really the last couple years before he passed away. Um, I mean, I, I lived to gain the approval of my father. I tried to do all the right things, never quite did all the right things. I always knew when my father disapproved of me, <laughs> but I, I just never had my, my dad's approval. And I always lived uh, with this fear that I was gonna disappoint my mother. Uh, my mom could never catch us to physically discipline us, but uh, her discipline was in the form of disappointment. And it was an oppressive disappointment. I love my mom. But uh, even, even before she died, the one thing that she, we were talking, and I said, Mom, I just need to know that you're proud of me. Are you proud of me? Always looking for that kind of approval because I was so worried that I was disappointing her. And my parents have been gone for years at this point. They both died at fairly early ages. And, but yet that legacy still kind of lives on. And I wish I was a better person. I could just shake that stuff off, but, but that legacy still kind of lives on a little bit in me. And because of that, I have all kinds of other fears. I fear failure. I really do. I fear failure. I fear being judged by other people. I fear the constant idea that I will be less than enough or less than good enough for anybody. And I, I live in a high expectation bubble. You know, and I know that all kinds of people have all kinds of expectations of me all the time. And I live with just this constant idea that I know, I know that I know I know, I'm probably letting somebody down and therefore I'm not worthy of their love. Not worthy of it. And fortunately, here's where this gets really dangerous is that there are times that those fears have impeded my acceptance of the love of God for me. Like, why would God love me? Why would God love me? Some of you were raised in homes where it was insinuated that God was out to get you. I mean, we kind of talked about that. I love you, but you suck. Okay? And that I'm gonna, but I'm gonna get, come after you. Okay? Some of you were raised in homes like that. Maybe that's the kind of God that lurks in your narrative. In a group this large, I'm absolutely positive for some of you that the people that God had placed in your life that were supposed to protect you were either absent or lived in such a way that it would have been a whole lot easier if they had been. I know that's true for some of you. Um, your experience in life says love is conditional. It's earned. It's for somebody who deserves it. That love that's experienced by other people, that, that's for people who don't carry a bag of game, uh, shame or, or guilt or, or any of those things. That's where God's love lands. And I think underneath all of that is really fear. It's fear. Because in the first recorded sin of Scripture, when Adam and Eve made the decision to walk away from God, all of a sudden God showed up in the garden, and God knew exactly where they were, but he still very gently said, where are you? Where are you? And they'd hidden because they were afraid. Afraid which is the opposite of the love of God. Fear is the opposite of love. 
1 John says that perfect love casts out all fear. So, if we're going to talk about encountering God, we've got to talk about love. And remember, to encounter God is to encounter a person. It's great if it feels emotional, it's great if you get some feelings and all that kind of different stuff, if you feel the spirit move, all that kind of different stuff, that's great. But you encounter God when you meet a person. That person is Jesus. Jesus. And here's what I want to do for us. I want you just to simply know this today. The love of God transcends your fear. The love of God is greater than any fear that you might have. One of the verses I learned early after encountering God back in 1992 is, is one I just want to zero in today. It's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. I think that if, if, if you can move that verse from your head to your heart, I think if, if we'll allow that to happen, you begin to see something important about God, and it's this, that God is actually for you. He is not against you. His love is unconditional, and it starts with the very first two words of that passage. It says, but God. But God demonstrates his own love. But God, even while you were still a sinner, but God. Are you less than perfect? Absolutely. And if you're struggling with that, just ask the person sitting next to you. They'll be honest. They'll shoot straight. Okay. Are you less than perfect? Yes. Um, do we all fall short? Absolutely. We all fall short. Uh, if love is based on conditional performance... Have any of us performed for God without fail? The answer is no. But God. But God still does this thing. Luke 15 is a, is a great chapter. But it, it includes the story of the prodigal son. Gets his father's inheritance. Asks for it early before his dad's dead. And goes out like he doesn't even have a family. Squanders all of his money. Finds himself in a desperate situation. And he realizes, man, I've really betrayed my family. I've blown it. I don't deserve love. That's where he's at. He knows he does not, he has not lived a life that has deserved anybody's love or even grace. But yet the only thing he knows to do is go home and ask for a job. Treat me like one of your slaves. At least I'll have a place to, to sleep. At least I'll have something to eat. But I, I, he, he comes home not expecting love because love is earned. He didn't do anything to deserve it. And yet what happens is his father runs out. He sees him from a distance, which means he's been looking for him. He sees him from a distance. This guy has brought shame on his family, shame on his father. And yet this father, in a, in a moment that is indescribable, runs out and embraces this son and says, I love you. You're home. You're alive. You're not dead. Let's, let's start now. Let's start now. But God, but God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Where do we see that? It's in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in the death of Christ. There's a man named Brennan Manning, and uh, he was a, a Franciscan priest. He was an author. In 1989, he had just completed a speaking engagement. Uh, he, was, he was a featured speaker. And it had gone exceptionally well. Uh, Brennan Manning is an incredible man of God. And uh, he spoke and people responded. 
And he did what he, he always did. He, he spoke about the love of God and how, how, how desperately God loves every single person. And he shared about that love with that group of people. And they went crazy for it. And they were going bonkers. And it was great. And it was this, this incredible moment. But after it was over, he did not feel good. Brennan Manning didn't feel good. He felt really unsettled. And he, after, after a night of prayer, he just recognized, man, I... I'm having a hard time right now in my own life believing what I just preached. That God would love me. And he was really struggling with some of his baggage. You know, he, he had been an alcoholic and uh, he, had, he had self-professed hated people uh, in different situations and, and had done some horrible things and treated people poorly and, and he'd been through a lot of different trials. So he's questioning after he's just done this amazing thing, he's, he's questioning the very love he just spoke to other people about. So in his desperation, he goes to visit this woman that he had adopted years earlier as his mom. <laughs> he just kind of made her his adopted mom. And to understand why he would go visit this 87-year-old woman at the time, you have to go all the way back to 1952. So it's 1952, and uh, Manning, or Manning was in the Korean War, the Korean War. He was known as Richard Manning. He was not Brendan Manning. He was known as Richard Manning. And the man who became his best friend in the Korean War was Ray Brennan. Ray Brennan. So these guys were side by side. Richard Manning and Ray Brennan, side by side, uh, all the time. And they were in a foxhole one night. And it was kind of calm, and they were eating chocolate. <laughs> and uh, he writes about how all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this grenade rolls right into their foxhole. And almost without thought, Ray Brennan tosses his chocolate aside, looks at Richard Manning, winks, and throws his body on this grenade and allows it to kill himself while protecting his friend. So eight years later, the war's over. It came time for Richard Manning to enter the Franciscan priesthood. And so as he's going through the ordination process, as is the custom, you get to choose a new name. So he took the name of his friend, and he became Brennan Manning, hoping that somehow he would live up to the sacrificial life that his friend had lived. So then Richard became known as Brennan Brennan Manning. So, fast forward again back to 1989. He's just had this speaking engagement. It's been absolutely amazing. And he's struggling himself with the very love that he says God has for them. But he's struggling with this idea that, that he's not lived up to earning the love that he's talking about. He's, there's been too many failures in his life, too many people he's disappointed, too many situations he found himself in. And he's, he's really struggling with embracing God's love for himself. No problem telling other people about it. He's just having a hard time embracing the love of God for himself. And so he goes to see this woman. And they, they have a good time. They eat dinner together. And they're reminiscing about all the crazy things Ray and Manning had been doing and done together in the war. But she could tell he was off and uneasy. And there was a reason he made it a point to come see her. And so she kept pushing on him a little bit. And then finally, he just kind of said, well, he said, Mom... I've been thinking about it. He said, do you think that Ray loved me? 
you think that Ray loved me? And initially, Mrs. Brennan laughed <laughs> because sometimes Brennan Manning has a little bit of a crass sense of humor. And see, she wasn't exactly sure how to take this, and he said, no, I'm, I'm serious. I've been really wondering, he said, do you think Ray loved me? Do you think he loved me? And this is what he writes. He saw anger in her eyes. Mrs. Brenning said this, don't you ever talk to me like that again. Don't you ever talk to me about my Raymond like that. Then she exploded and said, what more could he have done for you? And then they both cried. And then her anger turned to compassion, and she said this. She said, you know what? It's all right, Richie. We all need a little reassurance now and then. John 15, 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no God than this, that he lay down his life for us, for you. What more could he have done? While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Now, it's one thing, maybe, to die for a friend. It's one thing to die for somebody who has at least lived in such of a way that you're like, Okay, yeah, that, that was okay. You, know, you died for a good person. Somebody who maybe earned a little bit of that sacrifice. Jesus died for us even when we were in our sin. When we'd alienated ourselves from him, when we pushed God away, he still gave, he still came. Even when we asserted our independence, our indifference, he saw the need that we had and he came and he met it by giving himself, by dying on a cross. That kind of love... <laughs> For the early believers, that kind of love was so unnatural that when the New Testament writers were starting to write about this sacrifice that God had made, this, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, when, God, when, the, when the author started writing about that love, they had to use a word that was not really that common, actually. There's all kinds of words for love, but pretty much all the other words are a little bit conditional. They're, they're a love based on an action. They're a love based on something. There's eros, love. You can let your mind wander on that one if you want, okay? But I love you, and I show love to you because there's, a, there's an attraction, there's a, there's a thing there, right? Phileo, that's brotherly love. It's the idea that we're a part of a family, and I love you, you love me. We're a happy, no. Okay, there's that, there's that brotherly love, but there's, there's kind of this give and take, this back and forth, Instead, the, the writers use the word agape. Agape. And agape love is this radical love that has nothing to do with the recipient. That's, I mean, it's just, it literally has nothing to do with the object of love. It has everything to do with the giver of it. It's a love that is given regardless. But God. Even so. Love. Love. God took all of that into account and said, even so. Christ died for you. Because God's love is unconditional. 
1 John 4, 16 through 18. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. So here at the beginning of this journey that we're on, as far as this three stickers on a wall kind of business, Encountering God is encountering a person, and it's encountering love. And I, I guess I would just ask you to open up your heart to embrace a kind of love that we have a hard time offering one another. <laughs> it's this selfless, but even so, God would do this kind of thing, love. Even so. Have you encountered the unconditional love of God in the person of Jesus Christ? We're all searching for something. And I would, all, I would venture to say we're all searching to be loved. And God is love, and he gives it freely to you today. There are some that have experienced this love in a profound encounter, and they're going to be showing that through that public profession of faith, through baptism at the second service. But I want to encourage you as we come back together again next week and talk what it looks like to embrace community there's something about these three things that all tie together. And again, our job as a church is to set the table that you might meet the person of Jesus Christ and receive that love. Would you stand so I can pray for you today? Father, in your grace and mercy, you looked upon us and you sent your son. And I just think about John chapter 1, Father, it says, that uh, he came into the world, but the world did not recognize him. His own did not recognize him. I pray that you would give us eyes to see the love and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives today. The Father, we would see how wide and how deep, how broad, how high, Father, the love you have for us that has been poured out for us through Jesus. And Father, I think it's fitting that we're talking about this as we move towards Easter. This recognition, Father, that you've gone to such lengths to redeem us, to rescue us, to save us. So, Father, help us not to forsake that. Father, help us to somehow, in some way, represent that agape love to those that are around us, even in our imperfections. Father, I pray that the light of Jesus would shine in our lives. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here today.